Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you a special interview with Kent Washington. He was the first American player, and specifically African-American player, to play professionally in a communist country when he signed a contract to play for KS Start of the Polish Basketball League. He played his college ball in the mid-1970s at Division II Southampton College in New York. He was highly skilled and extremely quick. And the thing that I love about his story was his passion for working on his game. He would spend hours upon hours in the gym alone improving his skills. And while he was in college, his Southampton team had played some exhibition games in Poland one summer. And that is how he made it onto the radar of his future Polish team. After he graduated, he pursued a few opportunities to play in the United States, even getting some opportunities to play in pro-am tournaments against NBA players. In the end, he signed a contract in Poland, and that was just the beginning of his adventure of playing professional basketball in a communist country, where he did not know the language, at least not at first. He was also the first black person that most Polish people had ever seen in person, and that made him stand out nearly everywhere he went in Poland. So, without further ado, here is our interview with Kent Washington. So, in 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 reading your story, like I said, I found it very fascinating. And and I know when you went to Poland to sign on, is it is it KS Start? Is that how you pronounce? Yeah. Yes. So you you yeah. went you went over there. Now, of course, that wasn't your first trip to Poland. I know you'd been there once with Southampton College. Uh, and I wanted to start with the question of, uh, I'm sure you probably heard a lot of stories and myths of what going to a communist country was going to be like, but what was the most positive sort of surprise, uh, once you got there and got to see it for yourself? You mean the, uh, first time or the professional? Let's, let's go with the perfect, when you went there professionally. Okay. So in 1979, when I went there as a pro, the, the most positive thing was the reaction from the uh, fans, which I already had a little bit of when I played college there, but that was the most positive thing. The uh, fans' enthusiasm coupled with the uh, fact that the city embraced me. And that was, and that was the city, is it Lublin? Lublin? Yes, yes. Yeah, and uh, and it seems that in, in reading your book, your your teammates really had no problem that you were an American, or particularly an African American. They seemed to uh, embrace you fairly quickly. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, w- w- when you spend so much time, you practice, 
twice a day. You're in the saunas together. You're on <laughs> buses, trains, taking long trips, hotel rooms. Even though I couldn't speak my, my first year and a half or so, you know, I had a translator on some some trips, all the practices. But you create a bond, a trust that they got your back, you got their back, no matter what. Those guys loved me and I just loved them because they saw that I was all about basketball. I was there to help us reach a higher level. And that was the bottom line. Sure, absolutely. And, and I also wanted to get into uh, were the fans, the fans there in, in Europe, uh, and, I, and I've been to, not to Poland, but I've been to other European countries, the way the fans respond to their team is a little different than the way they respond here in the United States. Oh, oh yeah, way <laughs> different. You know, when I come back here, I'm troubled by the fans <laughs> from here. I'm troubled. I mean, Lublin, if you live there, you only root for Lublin teams. That's it. Yeah. You, you root for them whether they're good or bad. There's nobody in uh, Lublin rooting for a team from like Warsaw. Yeah. You just don't have that kind of fandom. It doesn't cross over cities. And they chant, they whistle, they play drums, they cheer. It is this constant noise level the whole game. They're waving flags, they have banners. It is constant, but it, it, it is genuine. Yeah. That's what it is. Authentic fandom. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That would be, as, as an American, I would love to experience that, you know, even just once, that, that level of loyalty. And, and I know you enjoyed doing a lot of work on your own. In, in, in reading, you did, you know, from in high school, college, into the pros, you did a lot of your individual work by yourself. How did your teammates and your coaches respond to all this individual work that you were doing that maybe some of the other guys were not doing? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, through high school, when I hear people say that, ah, these kids nowadays, they don't work hard. You know, guys back then, they don't work hard either. I mean, everybody <laughs> didn't work hard. It was just some people that did. <laughs> you know, so I always had this unquenchable thirst to improve. That, that was just it. I didn't have any dreams of playing college, any dreams of playing the pros. I just set goals. Uh, junior high school, high school. I was shocked when I got a college scout actually wanted me. So I just worked and my individual training was a place of solitude. And that chapter in the uh, book is so important because I lived in a world of solitude. My basketball brought me into my own world where I felt safe. So through that, college was the same thing. You know, I didn't practice to make my my college teammates look bad. I practiced because I had this obsession with practice, and that was on me, not them. So no coach ever said, well, look at Kenny. He's practicing a lot because my coaches knew that I had this illness. I was addicted to basketball. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was just me. 
And when I went over to Poland, my uh, teammates, we practiced twice a day. And I was in the uh, gym earlier every practice. But it, it wasn't to intimidate them or make them look bad. They realized that this guy just really likes to practice basketball. So it was never looked upon by any teammate, high school, college, or uh, pro, including Sweden too, that that was just me. So don't compare other people to me. That's just who yeah. I am. Yeah, I love that you that you did that, that you took that your game that seriously, that you loved it. It was a place, like you said, a solitude for you. And that makes sense. Everything you're saying completely makes sense to me and why you were so passionate about developing your skills. Now, I wanted to ask specifically about some of the training methods. The European training methods at that time were quite different than American training methods for basketball. But however, at the same time, what we see what they did back then, I think you see a lot of that here now because of the European influence with so many European players in the NBA. They, a lot of that is now normal here today, and it wasn't back then. Can you tell me more about the how you trained as an athlete? Yes. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize there was so much uh, stretching involved, uh, <laughs> weight training in, 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 involved, because back when I played, you didn't you didn't lift weights. That was like taboo. Uh, that came a lot like later. You know, you didn't want to be too too strong. It would throw your shot off. But in Poland, we had our first training was weight training and and just like shooting, maximum like shooting. So I learned that you could lift weights and then shoot right after. And the way they trained us was everybody were, was a ball handler. They trained skill first. And then the player grows into whatever position they are. So everybody, I mean, there's six, ten guys who can handle the ball. You know, that was just European ball. They could all handle, all shoot. And I realized that, wow, we got centers that just play uh, down low in the block. These guys pick and pop. <laughs> they don't pick and roll. They pop to a shot. And I was like, wow, they, you can't guard these guys. So I saw back then that the European player was skilled enough to, to, to play here. The, the question is, would they be featured on their team. So if you bring them over and you just plug them in as a complimentary player, you're not serving their 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 skill set. But when you feature them, they got enormous skill. Those guys that are 6'10, handle the ball, pass the ball. I mean, Jokic is a great player. But they're there were Jokic's back then, too, but nobody ever could see him because they were in, like, Russia, and Russia was not allowing any players outside of the States. You know, Alvidas Sabonis at 19 was unbelievable, and their entire, like, um, national team was phenomenal, but they couldn't get outside the States. So they trained different they practice more. We play a bunch of AAU games here. 
you know, it, it, it's nonsensical here. Game, 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 game. They train more. They're yeah. trained. They're still more. That's why they're going to take the, uh, the, the pros over soon. They're yeah. doing it now. Yeah, and you mentioned that, how you were uh, there in Europe. You, you train twice a day, and then you maybe play one, one maybe two games a week. Uh, with the typical schedule, which is almost reverse of what we do here, whether it's college or NBA, it's it's you know a couple of practices a week and nothing you know, like you said, game, 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 game. Uh, and I from the NBA, you know, we get it because it's an entertainment business. They got to make money. They got to have games. But it's definitely just kind of the other way around. And you're and I think you're saying is that that helps the development. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never got better playing games. I got better practicing. Because when you play games as a, a youth, you're playing to your strength. When you practice, you can practice your weaknesses mm. and strengths. And that's what it's about. That's how players improve. Games give you uh, decision-making skills, but they don't make you improve. You know, so where our youth here spend far too much time playing games and far too little little time actually skill training. As you got on over the first couple of years there in Poland, uh, I know you learned the language and you're you're feeling much each season much more comfortable with the culture and the people. And there was one great story in here where there was an American couple at a restaurant and they were being rude with the <laughs> server and you come you came and kind of gave a piece of your mind. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I became Polish. There yeah. was no question about it. So I'm sitting there with my uh the teammates at a pre-game meal, and these Americans are hassling this, uh, the waitress about how much coffee costs after <laughs> the meal, you know. Well, it's free in America, and I'm hearing all this bickering and stuff, and the poor waitress was, she couldn't really speak English. She was feeling bad, so she left to get the the coffee, and I got up and I went right over to him and says, what are you, I mean, just pay the, for the coffee. You know, this is ridiculous. You want me to pay for it for you? Like, this is why people don't like Americans, you know. And then I sat back down and my teammates kind of looked at me and said, oh, he's Polish. You know? yeah, he's, well, that's wonderful, you know, that you were accepted so easily in Polish culture and, uh, and, and, and I know you mentioned getting stopped for, regularly, getting stopped for an autograph because, you know, yeah. you you obviously looked different than the typical pole. You, you no matter where you went, you stood out in the crowd. Um, yeah. Now, and when you go to that, where you're in the newspaper regularly, you're getting asked for your autograph regularly. You came home to New York in the summertime, and you weren't necessarily being asked for your autograph in the summer. Yeah, I lived two different lives, and I could keep them apart. I got it. Here, I play in, uh, you know, the, the, pro, the pro tournaments, but I was just a good point guard. There, I was a star. Yeah. But I understood my role on both teams. And I realized also that I'm a second-class basketball citizen. I grew up with pros, Gus Williams, Ray Williams, Earl like Tatum, all of these guys playing. I play with pros constantly. So I knew that Poland was not exactly anything to be bragging about. You know, so I kept my, my mouth shut 
came home, got better here, practiced all the time here, played in a few uh, programs, and then went went back there a stronger player. Mm-hmm. So I kept my two basketball worlds totally separate. Yeah, and that makes sense uh, to be able to keep those two sort of, like you said, two lives and, and be able to navigate each of them separately. Uh, but then after a couple of years, start starts to struggle because as you guys had success, some players signed as free agents elsewhere. Your coach went elsewhere. Um, and that move from, is it Zagreb? Am I saying it right? Zagreb? Or Zagreb? Zagrembi. Zagrembi. Okay. And uh, so you make the transition to that team. It's a different city. And what was that like to start with new teammates in a new in a new town? Yeah. Well, um, one thing that, that made it very simple was my my girlfriend came came with me, so I had a sense of like family now, you know, and the teammates there knew me already because I played against them. So they knew how I played and they accepted me quickly because my new role here was to be a guiding force. They were a young, talented team that just kind of come up. So I was there to kind of like stabilize them. And they were very good. When we had some good years there, the problem was the social solidarity movement that kind of deterred our advancement the uh, first first year there. But we had a really good team, great guys to play with. Yeah, and that part really kind of pulled me in because, I mean, it's, it's the non-basketball part of the story, how the solidarity movement, because you were in a coal mining town, really yeah. was impactful in that in, in that city versus maybe other cities in Poland where it disrupted your – I believe it disrupted the basketball schedule. I think the league kind of suspended for a little for a little while and then, then returned to action. Yes, uh, we could actually practice, but games were – suspended and we were we were winning playing really well and that that downtime there where there were no uh games really hurt us as a team because we had younger guys that were kind of riding that way you know but then we had other challenges like like rationing food (laughs) coupons standing in line tanks on the street you know things like like that, that didn't make me, um, I, I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel any fear at all, but it just disrupted basketball. But I could still practice, so I was in heaven. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and then came the move uh, to Sweden. I know that was a challenge that you're leaving Poland that yeah. you, you came to love. Uh, now in Sweden, I believe there is more English spoken in Sweden. Oh, but did, but did, did you ever feel like you became Swedish the way you became Polish, or was it just completely different? It was different. I have a Swedish passport now. I lived there for fourteen years. I played ten years there. But when you can speak English, although I do speak uh, fluent Swedish. But when you can speak uh, English there and the lifestyle, the quality of life is just like America. There's no real uh, transition. So they were totally different. 
Uh, and I know that's where you met your wife, and yeah. uh, uh, and then you have a daughter who plays softball for a yeah. while, and uh, yeah. um, so that I mean that's that was a nice kind of end to that story that you 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 started your family there in Sweden. Once your playing days began to wind down, kind of what was the next chapter for for Kent Washington? Yeah, I uh, I came back to the States with my family, my daughter was about five because I felt um, that my parents here couldn't see their grandchild. Mm. So my wife and I decided to come uh, back here and uh, Kelly and my daughter really thrived here. Um, I was always kind of torn because I was a European at heart now. my wife likes New York, but she missed it too. So we kind of dealt with it. I began to uh, coach a little, but I found out I'm a terrible coach. So <laughs> I turned to uh, being a third grade math teaching assistant, and I love that. Yeah. Love, loved it. Yeah. My coaching, I could be an assistant coach. Because I like doing skill things. But the head coaching part, you know, responsible for kids' playing time and the wins and the losses and this this parents over here, pain in the neck. And it's just so much bluster with sports. My parents never bothered me playing sports, you know. So seeing sports now here is so confusing because the parents are so overly involved and there's this fake fandom you know i gotta hear on on the radio 24 7 uh so now i'm going back to the netherlands to to live there soon my daughter lives there so uh that's where i'm at now Okay, so you're planning to move to the Netherlands. Coincidentally, I was I was only there for a day. I was there this summer just for one day, just to tour Amsterdam with my family, and then we moved on to Belgium the next day. Uh, but that's one. So, what are the plans in the Netherlands for you? Well, we just bought a place in Harlem, which is uh, twenty minutes outside of Amsterdam. Yes, and uh, we love it. I love that place. So. Uh, I'm retired. I'm chilling. My wife, <laughs> my wife may do something a little bit, but we're planning on really seeing her parents. We're very close to Sweden now. And, um, you know, I just have a European lifestyle now. I mean, I've always had that in me. I never really got back to being American here yeah. after I left. I, well, once you go to Europe and you live there, it changes you. Yeah, no, I, I believe my, my wife is from Spain. And so we have the same sort of conversations about going back and, you know, how much yeah. it's like in there in Europe versus here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I could definitely appreciate that uh, that dynamic yeah. in, your, in your marriage. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, one thing I wanted to just kind of finish with is the whole time you were playing there. Now, you weren't just playing there. You were always either in the, you were always in the conversations uh, in the Polish league for the MVP or were their equivalent of the MVP? You were kind of there in those conversations. And in Sweden, I believe you did win in the Swedish league. Is that correct? Yes. I was the league MVP there 
ones that I know of. So back then, <laughs> they didn't really announce these things. You know, I mean, it was so weird. Now there's like, there's like MVP of games, MVP of the week, MVP of the month. You know, they have all these things. There, you had to actually find out. But in Sweden, I was one year. I was the scoring leader one year after that. So I figured that I would, I could have been twice, but I don't know. But definitely <laughs> once. Definitely you know, once. Just can't keep track of these things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kent, uh, thank you so much for your time. I mean, this really is a wonderful story, and, and we're we're very happy to share it uh, on the podcast um, to let people know that you were there as the the first American to play behind the Iron Curtain in in a communist country, and it's such a wonderful experience. And the Polish people are the the way they accepted you and and treated you. Um, definitely kind of broke down for, as a reader, broke down some of the misconceptions of the, the people. Because I, I believe anywhere you go in Europe, the people are not necessarily the same as the government. That's the message. Communism is not an indictment on the, the people that live there. Yeah. That's the message. Yeah. They want the same things everybody wants. A, a, a nice living, raise your family, have a good life. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Ken. I really appreciate your time and uh, being able to share this for you. And uh, we'll put a link to the book in our show descriptions to make sure that the audience has a chance to be able to order that for themselves. Thank you, Kent. Take care. Thank you so much. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. I just want to thank Ken Washington for taking time to talk to us about his incredible experience playing professional basketball in Poland and then later in Sweden. Spending time overseas is an opportunity to grow as a person as you get to see what life is like from a different perspective. It is nearly impossible to spend time overseas without being changed for the better. However, as with nearly any interview, as much as we covered during our conversation, we really were just scratching the surface of his experience playing pro basketball in Poland and Sweden. So I want to encourage you all to get Kent's book about his time overseas. The book is called Kentomania, and it is available on Amazon. We put the link to the book in the description, so do yourself a favor, buy a copy, and give it a good read. Kent really is an amazing guy with an amazing story. So join us next time when we share the story of the physiology of basketball as described by the inventor himself, Dr. James Naismith. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact 
here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.